And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Covering some major ground across the northern half of the beautiful state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way on down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi. Thrown in just for good measure. Well, hey, listen, we're going to go right now to the phones. I'm, I'm pleased to have somebody coming on who has been literally in the trenches working policy issues for the conservative cause in Alabama now for at least three decades or more. Uh, Congressman Gary Palmer, uh, he currently represents Alabama's uh, sixth congressional district. Uh, but prior to that, I believe it was 24 years of time he spent founding and running the Alabama Policy Institute, where I was proud to be on staff for several years uh, before starting Right Side Radio. So uh, without further ado, I'm bringing on uh, Chairman of the House GOP Policy Committee, member of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, Congressman Gary Palmer. How you doing today, sir? Good, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Well, absolutely. Thank you for making time for us. Uh, I think you're back in the state right now, aren't you? Yes. Um, we um, had a number of meetings today. We, we host a quarterly lunch for all of the mayors in the district, and that was today. And then tonight we've got our academy night for the, the high school seniors who've received nominations to the military academies. Many of them have already been uh, accepted. Oh, that's awesome. That, I think that's probably one of the uh, the finer moments of uh, the job you have right now is getting to, to, to tap uh, folks like that for, for, for going to the academy. Yeah, we have uh, a tough process. We made it tough because you want to separate – the ones who like the idea of going to a military academy from those who want to go there because they want to serve our country and our armed forces. And I, I'm, I wanted it so that there's no politics, so that, you know, I don't have somebody come up and tell me how great their grandson or granddaughter is. And the reason I do that, Phil, and you know this, you served in the military. Uh, I understand that we need to send the best we have because one day, and I hope I hope this doesn't happen, but one day, these people that, that we're nominating for these uh, positions in the military academies may be leading somebody else's son or daughter or mm. grandson or granddaughter into battle. Yeah. And I want the best we've got. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And uh, and thank you for that. Well, listen, speaking of that, uh, Congressman, what I want to do is to spend a few minutes. I mean, you, you're in a position of leadership within um, not just Alabama's U.S. delegation, but also the, the House GOP overall. Um, and there's so much right now in the news. I mean, I feel like it's a target-rich environment for a conservative talk show. But um, I wanted to take a few topics and just get your perspective, kind of run the gamut if we can. And since you just mentioned the military first, I'll, I'll change the order in which I was going to do things and just ask you your thoughts right now on the situation in Ukraine and on the idea that China may be collaboratively working in the future here with uh, Russia. Uh, just give me your thoughts on that, where you see things headed. Well, China's been involved with Russia from from the get-go, uh, just not as as open as they are right now. Um, I think uh, I know there are a lot of people that think we should just completely pull out of Ukraine, but I think at this point, uh, if we did that, it would be viewed in the same light as the disastrous Afghanistan uh, withdrawal, and uh, would I think uh, tremendously weaken the U.S. Uh, standing in the world and, and completely undermine any confidence that our NATO allies have in us. So it's one of those things, you're in the briar patch now. But the interesting thing that uh, I try to point out to people is that if anybody were asked, do you consider the, the Russian uh, military, their conventional forces, to be a superpower, I think 
99 and 9 tenths percent of the people would have said yes. But uh, what's happened uh, in Ukraine has, has proven that, that they're at best second class, if not worse. Mm. And their, their conventional military forces have been incredibly degraded by this. And uh, as far as the money goes that, that we spent, it's, I, I think, honestly, it's about $113, $115 billion. But most of the money has been spent in the United States uh, procuring the weapons that, that we've uh, provided to them. So we've uh, the vast majority of the money is spent here and not over there. But uh, as I pointed out, if we had not gotten involved and Russia had taken Ukraine, which most of us thought would happen fairly quickly, they would have taken Moldova and then the Republic of Georgia and then probably the Baltic states, which are members of NATO, and would be in another Cold War. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we would have been in a shooting war, but I think we'd definitely be back in a Cold War, which I think you served during that time, didn't you? I did, yes, sir. And uh, from 1946 to 1991, we spent somewhere uh, between 6 and $8 trillion uh, in the Cold War. So, so in, in a year... Uh, for not even a drop in the drop in the bucket, uh, we have seen Russia's ability to project power significantly uh, diminished. Uh, and, and it's going to be uh, a decade or longer before they recover from this once this thing's over. But uh, I don't like what's going on. Uh, it's not where uh, uh, any of us want to be. But it's it's where we are, and and then in regard to China, I think China is learning something here that I think may have actually uh, kept them from from launching an invasion on Taiwan. Uh, if if we provide the the military resources to Taiwan, which I believe we are, uh, and China wanted to attack Taiwan, they're not they're not driving over uh, across the street, so to speak, across land. Uh, to launch an attack, they've got across the Strait of Taiwan, and uh, and I and you know we can't say how well the Taiwanese military would resist, but the uh, losses that potentially it could be inflicted on China would 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 far exceed that in Russia. So, in, in an odd sort of way, maybe the conflict in Ukraine has served as a deterrent to China. I think that's possible. And, 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 and let me ask you this, though. And I, I'm one of those conservatives who I agree with you. I don't mind the idea that we are trying to stop Russia from having its way uh, on European soil and just deciding it wants to take sovereign territory and, and just bully its way around. And I think it's also been uh, good in our national interest to see the Russian bear uh, proven to be somewhat toothless. Its, it's military is not what we thought it was. But here's, here's the concern I do have is I have not heard the Biden administration clearly articulate what its foreign or military policy is. I mean, we're, we, we do have to stop Russia, but it, when, when, what, what's, the, what's the end state? What is the goal? What are the milestones we're trying to achieve? Are you seeing anything in D.C. right now that tells you that the Biden administration has a clearly articulated foreign policy that we can all identify with and go, oh, there it is? I don't think they do. I, th- I think before you can articulate a policy, Phil, you've got to have one. Yeah. And I'm trying to a certain extent to fill that gap. I just spoke at a global energy summit uh, out in Houston, and I've had meetings with a number of people from Latin America and and, and Europe about uh, 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 energy policy. And and, and you're going to think, well, how does that connect to this? What the war in Ukraine has uh, done is it, it didn't 
caused the energy crisis, it exposed it. Mm. And exposed the fact, uh, and, and I pointed this out, I, the, the ambassador from Norway was in this meeting, the consul general from France, and a number of, of European nations. Uh, and, and, and what I've told them is, is, look, we have really messed up over the last decade or so in letting our hydrocarbon infrastructure decline. We haven't built the refiners we need or the LNG facilities or the, ves- the, the, the LNG vessels or the pipelines. And, and Europe in particular ha- has uh, discovered, because of the war in Ukraine, that it is not in their national interest. It's a national security issue to depend on an adversarial nation for something as critical as, as the energy to, to run your economy. And this idea here in the United States that we're going to go to 100% renewables because of this false yeah. premise that we need oil and gas from other countries is ridiculous. Yeah. We, we're energy independent, but if we go to renewables, we'll, we'll be dependent on China. So, uh, And I don't know what my time frame is here for when you need to take a break, so just cut me off whenever you need to. But the thing that I've been pushing now is looking at what China's done and, and, and the amount of influence they have in Latin America, particularly South America, is, is our end game needs to be a Western Hemisphere Alliance for Prosperity and Security, where, where we're going to rebuild our hydrocarbon uh, infrastructure around natural gas and, and, and later, and, and, uh, and where appropriate, around next-generation nuclear, and start working within our own hemisphere, uh, protecting our own backyard, with soft power uh, as a way to uh, to uh, regain our influence in our own region against China. No, I, I, I completely agree. And, you, and you're talking, you know, in, in the in the in the times that I've had in, in studying foreign policy, the the whole acronym of DIME, the diplomacy, the information, intelligence, the military, the economic, all of it has to swirl together in a cohesive way. Yeah. And you just you just mentioned something, Congressman. And we've got about two and a half minutes for the break. But let me ask you this: uh, in our hemisphere, southern border. Um, now, I am so pleased to see that Kevin McCarthy is going to be bringing hearings down to the southern border. I think that's necessary. Some are calling it political theater. I think it has to happen because it highlights in a big way what's going on down there. Um, are we going to see any change in southern border policy from the Biden administration without taking back the Senate? Uh, I would say no, but it, it, but it depends on what we try to push forward because – the Hill uh, publication, which you're familiar with, the yeah. Hill, there are not many people in Alabama familiar with it, but it's an inside the Beltway publication, said there are eight Democrats, uh, eight seats that are very likely going to flip in the next election. Seven of them are Democrat seats, and the the, the eighth one is Kirsten Sinema, who, who uh, declared herself an independent. Because of that, I think we might be able to find some Democrats like a John Tester or Joe Manchin or a Kiss. Kirsten Cinema that'd be willing to work with us on some border policy. But going back to to this issue and, and Kevin going to the border, uh, I've been down to the border twice. I'm planning to go back. And, and what people need to understand, when, when we, we have these hearings at the border, you see the Rio Grande River in the background, they all know we're coming. They clean everything up. All you'll see on the other side of the river, a bunch of people fishing, yeah. talking on their cell phone. Well, I promise you, there's no bait on that hook. Uh, it, it's, it's all a shell game. We need to be talking to people 25, 50 miles uh, uh, inside the border who are having their agricultural crops trampled down, who are 
putting guard dogs in their yard and fencing in their yard because they're afraid for their kids to go out and play. And, and how destructive this has been to to the lives of, of farmers and ranchers and, and small business owners uh, across the border. And it's that way from Texas to New Mexico to Arizona yeah. and, and even in California. We, we need to tell the story a little bit differently than what we've been telling. But the other thing is, is uh, and you may know this, Phil, because you have pretty good information, but we've picked up over 3,000 Chinese nationals crossing our southern border from Texas to California. Wow. And, and I think it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, it's an, I think this is now a national security issue, not just from the fentanyl and the number of people dying from drug overdoses, but for the potential, potential of, of some people with really bad intent coming into the country. Well, and and and, uh, and thank you for saying that. And we, we pointed that out on the show. I think it was last week. Uh, the number of Chinese nationals has, uh, I want to say, is is something like like one hundred and twenty percent more than it's been in, in previous years. But Congressman, we oh, got to yeah. take a break right now. Uh, if you can hang on during this break, I'd like to come back and just wrap up the half hour with you here, uh, talk about fiscal policy and inflationary uh, uh, issues. Sure. Is that okay? Yeah. Sure. All right. We are on with uh, Congressman Gary Palmer, representing the sixth district of Alabama. And uh, just kind of running the gamut on the issues. You guys stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We will be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid conservative and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Hey, we're going right back to the phones right now. Congressman Gary Palmer represents the 6th District of Alabama. Uh, he has uh, a long history working in policy issues, having been for, uh, I believe, 24 years the head of the Alabama Policy Institute before he headed to D.C. to represent uh, Alabama's U.S. delegation. And uh, he currently also chairs the House Republican Policy Committee, as well as sitting on a number of other very uh, important committees. Uh, Congressman, thanks for spending some time with us today. Glad to, Phil. Well, hey, sir, let me let me ask you this. Um, uh, a recent article came out, AL Daily News has a piece uh, talking about your own personal priorities, one of which is trying to get a, uh, a handle on inflation and on fiscal policy. And, you know, there are some who say it's been the you know, the, the massive government spending that has contributed to the, uh, the inflation that we've seen. I mean, bacon's up 17 percent. Uh, the Fed has raised the interest rate such that it's impacting the housing market now uh, in a great way. What are your thoughts? Are we going to get inflation under control? And by the way, we got about four minutes. OK, I'll make it quick. Uh, inflation is basically the main byproduct of three things. It's government spending. You've got more money in, in, uh, in the market than there's goods to meet uh, from Dubai, and that immediately shot things up. But the single thing that uh, after that that has really driven up prices is energy costs. And uh, within the first week or two of the Biden administration, he not only stopped construction of the Keystone XL pipeline that would have brought 835,000 barrels of Canadian oil into the country on a daily basis, he suspended leases on federal lands for oil and natural gas. And that immediately caused energy futures to go up. 
But the third thing is is regulatory costs. In his first year in office, Phil, Biden added over $200 billion in regulatory costs. That's a hidden tax that gets passed on to the consumers. So when you look at the massive amount of government spending, uh, the increase in energy costs and everything that you and I have come in contact with today that we've consumed or used has an energy cost, and add to that this hidden tax of, of regulation, and you can see why we why we're in the mess we're in. Yeah. Uh, and I do think we can bring it down because Congress can can impact all three of those. Well, and and I, and I would hope so. Uh, now Congress doesn't control the Fed. But do you see the Fed beginning to relax on, on its interest rate hikes or anything else happening that we can see that's going to be truly measurable that won't take an extended amount of time for it to have an impact? Well, I, I think if we can get these other three uh, manageable uh, and inflation starts to decline, I think the Fed will, will back off a little bit. Uh, I've read something today that it doesn't look like the Fed's going to reach its 2% inflation uh, mark by the in the time frame that they wanted, but uh, I, I do think that we can get it back to to a, a manageable level, uh, and uh, and if we have a change in administration, as I believe we will in 24, and then get control of the Senate, I think we can do even more. And we saw that with the Trump administration. The first thing, just to give you a comparison, the first 14 bills that we passed uh, his, uh, when Trump was in the office his first year were all deregulation bills. They were uh, Congressional Review Act legislation that rolled back some of the more egregious regulations imposed uh, by the Obama administration. That's what jump-started the economy. And then later that year, we passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And I think uh, by the end of that second year of him in office, the inflation rate was like 1.9%. Yeah. So... We, we, there are things that I think we can do. I don't know that we will have as dramatic an impact, but we're going to make a, uh, take a long, hard look at, at the regulations that Biden has imposed and either do recensions and appropriations bills or do Congressional Review Act uh, legislation, which can't be filibustered in the Senate, by the way, and, and maybe get some of those eight senators that are running for re-election on board with us. Well, uh, Congressman... Uh 2024 can't get here fast enough as far as I'm concerned, but um, I want to I want to thank you for your time today. I mean, I don't think we even scratched the surface, so I'm going to go ahead and just give you an open invitation to be back on the show. I want to I want to have some deep dives with you in the future, maybe even have you in studio, but we sure appreciate your time today, sir. Well, I'd be happy to do it, Phil. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. That was Congressman Gary Palmer. Um, he's He's been a policy hawk now for, uh, for years. And, folks, I, I don't even begin to tell you uh, to the extent that the Alabama Policy Institute that he founded uh, over 30 years ago uh, has had an impact on conservative public policy in this state. You know, our friend uh, uh, Stephanie Smith, who comes on every week and will probably be on tomorrow, um, she's the head of API now. I was proud to be on staff there for several years. But uh, Congressman Palmer took what he learned in working API. He's now in Congress, and we'll have him back on again sometime soon. All right, coming up next, my truly favorite moment of the week, Boomer McQueen. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. <laughs> 